0: Hello and good afternoon. I'm Sue Sales, Vice President of Government Affairs Ben Benton and I'm glad you guys could join us for our breakout session around permanent reform. I'm really pleased that uh, Zan Fishman from the Bipartisan Policy Center is here to join us to talk about permanent reform for clean energy projects. Um, Zan is the Director of Energy Policy and Carbon Management for the Bipartisan Policy Center. And before that, he was John Delaney's chief of staff um, for many years. And as many of you might recall, Congressman Delaney was one of the first leaders on carbon pricing over on the House side and was a pivotal voice in getting the Energy Innovation Act introduced. So we have a long history with Zan and I'm very happy he could join us here today. Um, Just to start off, Zan, some people might not be familiar with the bipartisan policy, Zan. Do you want to just give a brief overview of your organization, I have to say, full disclosure: uh, my old boss, Senator Domenici, did go to work for the Bipartisan Policy Center as soon as he retired. So it, it does have a a special place in my heart.
1: That's right. Uh, he, he was a a big leader back in the the budget fights of the, um, the last the last decade, if, if people remember. Uh, so thanks for having me here. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me to talk about permitting, Ben. Um, it's a really important topic, and um, it's just a pleasure to be talking to Citizens Climate Lobby. I, I have to say, you know, when I back when I was a, a Hill staffer, I, I could not possibly have been more impressed by the organization and the motivation and the knowledge of the people that would continue, continually come to my office and talk. Uh, on behalf of the Citizens Climate Lobby, um, you were always uh, great partners. Um, now I'm at the Bipartisan Policy Center, and the Bipartisan Policy Center, as the name might give a hint, uh, is a is a think tank. You know, we're we're an organization in Washington, D.C. that's very mission based around finding consensus on ideas that can improve people's lives. And sometimes that's frustrating. Um, You know, a lot of politics these days is partisan. Um, At the same time, there are a lot of members on both sides of the aisle that are looking for ways to make progress. And we often act as a convener, as a a soundboard for ideas. Um, We host events and highlight Leaders who are working across the aisle on important topics, Uh, we help forge that consensus. Uh, And then at the end of the day, we we go out there and pound the pavement, much like you do, um, which is I think so impressive about Citizen Climate Lobby to try to make it actually happen. Um, So that's that's the bipartisan policy center, and there's you know we have an energy team which which I'm on um, energy and climate. There are about fifteen of us on that on that team. so thanks for thanks for inviting me here.
0: Well, really appreciate it, and certainly given your your focus on finding common ground and bipartisan solutions, I think you could say like we're kind of natural partners to work on some of these issues. Um, so really appreciate it. I hope today we'll have, um, kind of a dialogue around permitting reform, and a conversation, and um, we'll kick it off here for about twenty minutes, and then um, we'll give everybody a chance to ask some of their questions they might have. Um after a little bit here. But let me just uh, to start things off. You know, um, BPC has really been one of the first organizations to lean in to the permanent reform issue. I think you guys kind of got there, saw the need for it um, before other people did. And why did you guys really zero in on that and think that this is something that Congress needed to take action on and that you really needed to start thinking about what some of those policies should be um, would be a great place to start this conversation.
1: Part of it has to do with, with BPC's past uh, and part of it has to do with a lot of forward thinking. Um, in, in terms of the past, BPC had a, a very robust infrastructure program uh, that had previously looked at permitting mostly as it related to uh, you know surface transportation you know roads, bridges, rail, that sort of things and had built up a, a a degree of expertise in permitting and um, as our team was thinking about what the future of energy policy looked like we basically came to the realization that we were pretty confident that the money was going to be there to create the incentives to build clean energy infrastructure you know through a mix of public incentives and, and private capital and we were pretty confident that the technology was going to be there through a mix of public funding for, you know, R&D, uh, as well as private sector investment in, you know, the full innovation life, sky, life cycle from, you know, lab stuff to pilot projects, demonstration projects, full full-scale commercialization. What we were absolutely not at all confident of is that we would be allowed to build technology here in our country. And that's what actually keeps me up at night when I'm thinking about, you know are we going to decarbonize or not? The money's there now, right? We, mm-hmm. we were right about that. The infrastructure bill passed. Now the Inflation Reduction Act passed. So we've got money for deployment. We've got money for research. We've got incentives to build wind and solar and hydropower and geothermal and advanced nuclear and on and on and on carbon capture what we don't have is a permitting system that allows us to build those things in time to reach net zero by 2050 right we can probably build those things in time to reach net zero by 2080 but we build too slowly and There are a lot of reasons for that and and one of the things I want to just get in people's minds are that our permitting process is slow and we just unleashed a huge amount of capital and incentives to build more and what we're going to get if we don't improve our permitting is just a bigger and bigger and bigger backlog of projects not being built that are just in the permitting process rather than an actual acceleration of projects being built. And the goal is to build a lot of clean infrastructure. So that's, that's, um, that's why we honed in on it so early. And what we did is, uh, about almost two years ago, uh, just about two years ago, we put together a task force, a bipartisan task force. Uh, um, one of those was my old boss, John Delaney. Um, uh, Another person was Julian Castro, who was former uh, Housing and Urban Development Secretary, Cabinet Secretary under President Obama. Uh, We also had former Senator Rick Santorum, former Governor Bobby Jindal, uh, a former commissioner, Collette Honorable, and a a current County Commissioner in Florida, Bill Truix. Uh, And so those people had experience at local government, at state government, at cabinet secretary level, House of Representatives, Senate, and like FERC administration of of the broad scope of where these problems happen, how to fix them. Uh, And even though we had someone way to the left, like Julian Castro and way to the right, like Rick Santorum, uh, we were able to get that group to agree on 23 specific recommendations to improve permitting for clean energy infrastructure. Uh, And they got, you know, Pretty granular. And, and some of them were, you know, a nice step forward, right? And some of them were a nice hop forward. And others would, you know, maybe get us closer to our run. Um, a few of those recommendations ended up in that bipartisan infrastructure bill. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act didn't have any policy changes related to permitting because it was a reconciliation bill and couldn't have mm-hmm. policy changes, but it did have funding for agency staff technology training for permitting. Um, And so there has been some progress made, but the infrastructure bill actually made more permitting progress for surface transportation than it did for energy projects. Well, I think that's a a
0: good good point that I don't think people know that when they did pass the big infrastructure bill, it did include some permitting reform for those infrastructure projects, not clean energy infrastructure, but we've been here before and we've actually done some of this permanent reform to make it easier to build the stuff we need.
1: That's right. That's right. It, and, and some of the things that people are talking about now is, is merely giving energy projects parity with, you know, roads and bridges.
0: I mean, I think, and this, this is coming up a lot in the chat, and you certainly point, paint a very compelling picture of, like, why you guys got there first and really started thinking about this, because, yeah, you are right. There's now a lot more money, I think more than many of us ever thought would be possible that Congress would approve for some of these projects, and now it's really about getting still in the ground. I think um, Senator Schatz makes a really compelling argument when he talks about for generations the idea around environmental movements was to stop the building of stuff, and now when it comes to climate we have to rethink our approach to that and think how can we build things faster
1: that's that's Um, exactly right like what what is a win like when 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 you know when you go to sleep at night and you think back on your day like what's going to make you feel better about yourself like in the past it often was if you were an environmentalist in the past it often was stopping some dirty project in the future it's got to be building the clean stuff because the stat because right now we had the status quo right we always had the status quo whatever the right now is right and the question you have to ask yourself about permitting reform is, is the status quo good or is the status quo bad? And right now, the status quo is not good. And so the question is, how easy are we gonna make it to change the status quo or are we gonna keep you know, inertia, keep doing what we're doing?
0: I mean, I think, and you might have a good number off the top of your head. I know we're expanding our transmission capacity just a little around 1% now. And I think to read our targets, we've got to double and even possibly triple that in the coming years. Uh, you can you can tell me if I'm right about that. <laughs> yeah,
1: so <laughs> so transmission. Let me let me talk a little bit about. Um, well, I'll I'll start answer your question and then I, and then I'll broaden from there. Um, we need to build transmission at give or take uh, an increase of 2.4 percent a year to to you know hit climate targets. Um, right now we're building it at one percent a year. Just like you said, that's exactly right and if everyone remembers when when people were talking about the inflation reduction act they did a lot of modeling about what the emissions reductions would be from all those new clean energy tax credits Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that modeling assumed a faster pace of transmission if we if you instead assume a static rate of transmission then you lose 80 percent of the emissions reductions from those clean energy tax credits. That means the inflation reduction act will only be 20% as good as we want it to be if we can't build transmission faster.
0: But I think, and I'll get on to other things, but I think this is is important that people understand is, um, I don't think there's a wide understanding that we could remove fossil fuels from the mix tomorrow. We just wouldn't have the amount of power generation we need to get to replace those energy inputs in our homes and our vehicles. And so this is part of the idea of like, if you're going to electrify everything, you've got to do all these things and do it fast.
1: Well, the, the, if there's one thing I could, well, there's a million things I wanted to give you as takeaways, but one thing that you, you should keep in your mind when you're thinking about the concept of electrification is that electrification is not is not synonymous with decarbonization it can be a very useful tool but electrification without a big expansion of the transmission grid would actually increase emissions why is that is because most of our renewable resources wind and solar are in the center of the country that's you know we've got excellent excellent geography in the center of our country for wind and solar most of our people and businesses are on the coasts so if we want to produce a whole lot more renewable energy, most of that will happen in this country. And we're going to need to get that energy to the coasts. The only way to do that is through transmission lines. Electrification means that we are using the electric grid for more than we're currently using it for, right? Right now, we use the electric grid for you know, things that have electricity, our refrigerators, our lights in our houses. Um, most people don't use it for vehicles, right? Most people still have cars and they use gasoline, and that is not a load on the electric grid, right? Most people have, you know, natural gas uh, furnace or stove and range, or, you know, actually, you know, there's electric ranges too, but, you know, you think about all these things, the more that gets electrified, the more electricity we're going to need. And with transmission, that can be really clean. Without transmission, then we're gonna use more coal, more natural gas, um, or if we're really lucky, more advanced nuclear. But it's really hard to cite uh, advanced nuclear as well, as, as you're. I'm sure you're aware.
0: Well, I'm sure this is getting to the kind of the core of the issue. I know that uh, people have these questions like, in your view, what are the reforms that are really needed? Like, what are the top priority things? What do we need Congress to be thinking about and putting in place? As they think about what are these barriers and how we change the way we do permit these clean energy projects and I have to say like for energy the permitting process is the same whether it's fossil fuel or clean energy so um they kind of go together certain way certain for certain things obviously uh, gas pipelines and things like that have a different process than electric transmission but when we're talking about permitting for energy projects it's kind of like the whole bucket um but
1: yeah, yeah, I'm going to so slightly so. disagree with you there, um, only to, to make the point that our, our current permitting system is actually easier for fossil fuels than it is for renewables. So, you know, when we're thinking about should we keep our permitting system the way it is, or should we make changes? Um, I, I think it, it's it's worth knowing that you know it is easier to site a transmission line than it is to site sorry it is easier to site a natural gas pipeline. Than it is to site a transmission line. It is easier easier to drill for oil than it is to drill for geothermal.
0: That, that that's a really good point. That I think is is lost a lot of times.
1: Um, so so the, so your question is is what can we do about it, <laughs> which is a great question. Um, what can we do about it? Um, one point that I, I would want to say at the outset is that our permitting system is about a process. It's about a process that you follow to make sure that whatever it is that you're going to build is going to provide benefits and ideally not cause a lot of harm, right? That's, that's, the, that's the ideal scenario. Um, you want a permitting process so that you don't accidentally put something in a place where it's going to cause real harm to the environment, to habitats, to people who live nearby. That's a really good goal. You know, we have environmental standards and we should keep our environmental standards. Permitting reform doesn't involve, doesn't require changing environmental standards. It, What it requires is changing the process by which we check and make sure that we're upholding our environmental standards. So a, a statistic that would be worth knowing is that, you know, the big complicated projects that we have in the U.S. Um, have, Have to go through what's called an EIS, an Environmental Impact Statement, and the average time that that takes right now is like four and a half years. That's the average, right? So that means a lot of them are taking more than six years. Yep. So you know, I don't know. I I should have probably just started by asking you. The think in your head, you know, how long do you think the permitting process should take? for an energy project. And you know, I suspect that you would have given some answer between six months and a year. Um, the reforms that are on the table from both Senator Manchin, which um, we can talk more about, and from Senator Capito, the Democrat and Republican, uh, are to, to get that down to two years, from four and a half to two. And in my mind, Two years is a long time. Mm-hmm. It's enough time to do a thorough, thorough review. No one should be scared about the idea that we're going from four and a half years down to two, right? It's not like we're going to do it in you know sixty days, and people are going to be running around the offices with papers flying everywhere and trying to book flights and get your you know survey everything. It's 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 two years. Um, it's it's a long time. Um, but you know, that would, you know, more than double our pace, right? It would, it would actually be, be meaningful. Some of the, so, so some of the stuff is simple, like just deadlines, real deadlines, you know, everyone at work understands the concept of deadlines. Like if you don't give someone a deadline, a lot of times people just take longer and longer and longer and longer deadlines are useful. They encourage the, they're internally motivating. Um, so, so that I think would be a, a really big, uh, important one. Um, Transmission. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to keep coming back to transmission because, in in many ways, it's it's like the most important piece of it. Um, because even if we can build solar faster and we can build wind faster and all these things, if we don't have the transmission, um, it's just going to, you know, not provide power. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not going to actually get built. Um, transmission is is hard because it's really long right it goes through lots of different states it goes through different communities um and so you have to you know get look along the entire path uh so the sighting is difficult and a lot of times not all the states are are working well together or you know playing ball um particularly because sometimes the the electricity is going from one place through another place to an in place and those through other places have less motivation to, um, to, to to agree to, to, to the transmission. Um, and in that case, you know, there needs to be a federal component, you know to, to authority to, to cite the transmission, which is what we don't have right now, but we do have for natural gas pipelines. So you know a lot of a lot of this is just giving transmission, in this case, parity with what natural gas already has. Um, and the, the other piece of it is cost allocation. You know, when you're building a big transmission line, you want to um, allocate the costs to the people who are benefiting, um, which in, in, in those benefits are fairly dispersed. Um, so, you know, more federal authority to make sure that happens can help um, speed transmission lines. Um, do you want me to just keep going? I uh, you know, we can those, go those, those, on those, and on. Those are
0: some really good points. I know, like, yeah. I know we're about
1: halfway through
0: now. and If people want to um chat their questions directly directly to Bill Barron, I think he should have renamed himself to something like chat questions towards me. And then Bill can kind of start to uh, to get those in an order. And I'll ask Zan one more question and then we'll start trying to get through some of your guys' questions because I've seen there's a lot of questions. This is a topic that I think has a lot of interest, and we're all going to have to do a lot of education. And so just maybe a quick flip of that, uh, you got some of the most important stuff, but what are the things that are probably that people throw out there that probably sound good, but really wouldn't be that effective to to speed up this permitting process?
1: Yeah, um, you know, there, there are some people who really focus on like the number of pages in an environmental impact statement, you know, like they've, they've gotten really long. Um, over time, because it's you know people being more and more careful. Um, you know what what used to be a ten page environmental impact statement sometimes is now a six hundred page environmental impact statement. And th- there have been proposals to keep them two hundred pages or less. I don't think that would be bad. Um, yeah you know, i'm not I'm not as convinced that it would be as meaningful. the The, the biggest category I, I would say is, you know you want At the end of the day, we. We want our projects to work well and not harm people or habitats or places. Mm-hmm. And so, the things that really actually bypass all review and could per- and could result in something being built that really shouldn't be built and causing a big backlash against building more things—that's the stuff that I worry about, right? Um, now, at the same time, that you know, one of the things that would be really good is, is more categorical exclusions. There are certain things that we really understand really well. You know, sometimes they're smaller. Sometimes we've just done them, you know, a thousand times, and we know because we've studied them so many times that that thing is just—it's not a risk. And when that happens, you can give it a categorical exclusion, and the project sponsor can say, you know, we're doing this exact thing that has a categorical exclusion. And we're looking at the location we want to build it. And we're going to make sure there's no extraordinary circumstances that would somehow change it. And if there's no extraordinary circumstances, then your review is super fast. Um, you know, that would be a really good thing. Um, that's actually a thing that the administration can do on their own, though both Capito and Mansion have it in their bills to kind of like force the administration to do it. Uh, And it was actually really good news is that uh, three, four weeks ago, the administration actually put out a request for information um, for new categorical exclusions that they should consider, um, which I was really, really happy to see.
0: Well, I think we can turn over. I do want to like you brought up something that I think is really important to us and to our to our volunteers is the need to continue to protect communities and to make sure projects that would have harms um, don't get built. And I think if you could just spend you know, forty-five seconds on that before we uh, we dive into more questions from the chat,
1: right? So, faster, faster review, more efficient permitting, is is or should should not be synonymous with building everything that gets reviewed, right? The review is still supposed to be a review, and there's still still be good standards. And if things don't meet that standards, they sh- the answer should be no and not yes. <laughs> you know, when I think about you know. Protecting communities, advancing environmental justice. From my perspective, building clean energy should contribute to helping communities, to advancing environmental justice. Right? Let's less pollution, more local economic benefits, um, cheaper energy. Right? All these are the, these are things to help people. Um, so you know, it, it it should not be the case that that permitting efficiency, permitting reform. Is and somehow antithetical to advancing environmental justice. I
0: think that's 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 a good point, um, Bill. Do you want to grab some of the questions from the chat and read them to us?
2: Sure. Uh, thanks for this conversation. It's very very interesting. Um, we have a bunch of questions. Uh, I'll start here with. Um, could you go over the reasons for the permitting system being so slow, and what would be potentially given up? Environmentally, to speed up the process, do we risk diluting or damaging environmental justice by speeding up the process?
1: The goal is that is that we we wouldn't is that we have a a, a process that's more efficient. You can come to a, a yes more quickly, or you can come to a no more quick more quickly. Like that that should be what our system is, right? It, it should be about efficiency. Again, you know, a permitting is about a process. Processes can be made more efficient without making the thing you're doing worse.
0: And I think something that, that Zan kind of touched on earlier, that one thing that was included in the IRA was a lot more money for the departments to staff up and get more of the personnel they need to review permits faster. And so any permitting reform could really be complementary to now what we've already put in place to give them that, that ability to re- review things in a more speedy time frame.
2: Great, thanks for that. Um, what, did, what would you say is the breakdown for federal, state, county, and city authority for permitting? Will uh, state and local permitting be a part of what, well, this is a question for us in CCL, what will what we'll support, but curious what uh, the breakdown looks like to you.
1: It is an absolutely terrific question. I, I'm not sure I can give you a percentage breakdown, um, but each each level of government has a role to play and the federal government cannot do it all uh states are really important um local governments are really important um a couple of the reforms that we have suggested one is a greater use of memoranda of understanding so at the beginning of a process a federal government state local government project sponsor can all agree this is going to be our joint collective process we're going to work in coordination with each other and not duplicate our work and we're going to all adhere to uh, a set of, of previously agreed upon timelines Something like that is actually more helpful than you would think. Um, w- one of the reforms that fe- federally is just getting all of the agencies to work together. You would you would think, oh, it's the federal government. They you know they all work together, but the truth is is that they don't. You know sometimes a project needs five separate agencies to do things. And you know the way historically has been, you know, one agency does something, then they pass it on to the next agency that duplicates, you know, half of that work, and then passes it on to the next agency that duplicates half of that work again, and then disagrees with the first agency. And you know, actually, just having the, the agencies work together from the get-go um, is actually is actually really helpful. You just basic coordination. And um, I think the other. Oh, sorry. correct me if
0: I'm wrong, but that was uh, provisions basically dictating that would have been included in the mansion proposal earlier this year.
1: That's correct. It's kind of referred to as one federal decision, you know, basically getting the government to to work together. Um, The the other thing I'll say is that we, we have thought that it it would be important to somehow either create a stick or carrot to get state governments to do better. So either give them a financial incentive to improve their own, Processes that they can use to hire staff and create, you know, better permitting uh, systems locally. Or, you know, some have suggested a stick. Like, if you don't, if your permitting is is slower and is slowing the things down, you could lose access to the funding.
2: Thanks so much for that. Um, I have an interesting. I mean, this sounds like a, a standard question we'd hear, but it seems ideal to tighten permitting requirements for fossil fuel projects while streamlining permitting for clean energy infrastructure can permitting reform be structured to only facilitate renewable energy transmission
1: i think the answer is is politically no you know in order to have something get through congress it's going to need 60 votes in the senate right like and that's that's that is just true Mm -hmm. um you can't do this through reconciliation right so like you know, in some imagined world where Democrats took the House back again and we got 53 Democratic senators, um, you know, a reconciliation bill wouldn't be able to pass the policies to do it, right? Reconciliation bill can only handle money flows, right? Tax incentives, spending, not policy changes. Um, So just politically, uh, the answer is no. But the the, the other thing, as I say, is that I, I, I honestly don't think that we should worry about that that much. The market has already decided we are going to decarbonize. The incentives are in place to decarbonize. Last year, seventy-seven percent of new electri- electricity generation in the United States was either wind or solar—just wind or solar. That's not the other kinds of clean electricity. Seventy-seven percent last year. That was before the Inflation Reduction Act was, you know, started. That before any of those incentives came online. So we're going to decarbonize. At the same time. We're not going to stop using fossil fuels tomorrow or next year. You know, there's 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 a role, for instance, for natural gas. You know, right now Europe has had, has a huge crisis in um, in energy, and and people are going to massively suffer unless they have natural gas. Not every country has good renewable resources, and so if U.S. natural gas can displace coal abroad that is a decarbonizing action. And there's even new technologies called the alum felt cycle natural gas power plants that can turn natural gas um, power plant into like more than 99% um, clean, um, which, which would be a huge advance. You know, If we can replace a coal plant in Africa with one of these natural gas plants, you know, the net effect globally for emissions would just be tremendous. Um, and so, you know, what I would say is that, you know, politically, the only way forward is an all of the above approach. And the truth is, is that an all of the above approach is consistent with decarbonization.
0: Yeah, and I think I think one thing that comes up that I think is also important to cite is in at least the permanent reform we're talking about, we're not saying like, you know, NEPA no longer needs to be there or the clean no. ar- Clean Water Act needs to be repealed, like those environmental standards we want to protect. I think Zan said it really well, he keeps talking about the process. We're not saying like, oh no, you no longer need to worry about clean water. Um, it's just making these decisions faster. I think that's that's a, a, a really important point to like make when people are concerned about this.
2: Great, <clears throat> next question. Uh, this has been asked a number of times in the chat. Does the uh, National Climate Adaptation and Resilience Strategy Act bill help with increased efficiency for permitting?
0: I, I can take that one, Zane. That's something we work on. Good. Uh, yeah, Incars Incars does not. I mean, that is about government coordination around um, uh, responding to natural disasters and kind of making government get on the same page. But it does it does not have a permitting reform
2: um, component
0: for for at least especially down for energy.
2: Is it possible to provide economic incentives to people who will be impacted by the transmission lines? Uh, a complicated, complicated question, but wondered if it would help to
1: address the not in my backyardism. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you, I can answer this for, for transmission, but I can answer this for energy projects, um, you know, writ large. A, a, a lot of a good path forward a lot of times is to use what's called a community benefit agreement. Where you go to the community in advance, and you say, "This is this is the project we want to build, and here's why we want to build it, and here's how it's going to help you. It's going to provide jobs, or it's going to provide, um, you know, it's, it's going to decrease local pollution by switching from you know one fuel source to a different fuel source, or, or clean up the air." Um, but those community benefit agreements can can include lots of things. Sometimes they include improving local roads. Um sometimes they improve improving local schools and hospitals and green spaces. Um, sometimes there are, are you know local benefits to to individuals through uh, cheaper power. Um, those are the kinds of things that can be provided and negotiated upfront, just depending on the the circumstance.
2: Great. Uh, another question. Can you explain why it's difficult to cite advanced nuclear? My understanding is that small modular reactors could be installed in old coal plants, which could take advantage of the existing grid transmission lines.
1: Oh, such a great question. Yes, uh, the coal to nuclear um, is a really exciting, uh, I guess, new concept. Um, and and, and the, the, the questioner hit it right on the money is that a lot of the things that you need for a coal plant are the same things that you need for a nuclear plant. Right. You want to uh, basically a way to heat water, to, to, to create steam, to, to turn turbines, right? So a lot of the people who work on one could, could work on the other. And almost most importantly, you have existing transmission lines. And as I've discussed, new transmission lines are hard. So reusing existing transmission lines for a coal plant that's going to be shutting down um, is really great. Um, and so there is a lot of potential there. There's a lot of potential there. At the same time, we've been slow to cite nuclear, um, traditional nuclear in particular, and it, you know advanced nuclear is is still a thing of the future. Um, and I think we're we're, we're getting close. We, we've got a lot of interesting, cool projects in the pipeline, um, and I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that this decade they're going to get deployed. There's a really good example um, in Wyoming that's doing just that. It's using existing transmission lines from coal. Uh, to to um, add in a nuclear advanced nuclear site, Terra Power I think is the is the company that's doing that there. But 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 the, the last thing I'll say is that um, outside of normal permitting, the, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the NRC that that um, is responsible for the regulations around you know the go or no go on can you build this nuclear facility uh, is a whole separate issue um, that it it's been very difficult, um, and it, you know. I think I think the NRC came online in the '70s, and we haven't built a new nuclear plant since they did. Um, so there's 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 more to do there.
2: Great. Uh, this this may be out of out of the context of what we're talking about, but it, it has come up as far as what uh, permitting reform is needed to speed up distributed generation installation.
1: I, I think it's just permitting writ large for for that one. You know, there's there's different kinds of things that apply at, at different scale, right? Like big complicated things need that EIS that I said, you know, it takes four and a half years and we're trying to get down to two. For for things that are less big and complicated, um, a lot of times those will get what's called a EA, an environmental assessment. Um, some t- those often take several years. The goal is to get those down to one year. Uh, some things get a categorical exclusion, um, but, you know, especially for things that, uh, you know, end up just distributed, you know, the, the more distributed they are, the, the more players there end up being. Um, so that basic coordination role, uh, again, is really important. Just, just forcing the coordination.
0: And Zen, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think
1: right now it's it's a lot harder for wind
0: uh, projects than it is for solar As general, just given their um, different technical specifications, is that correct? Yeah,
1: um, it just depends. Wind and solar have have more recently been facing local ordinances that basically Mm -hmm. ban them, um, which is another thing to keep one's eye on. Like, there's there's a really good paper written by our organization called ClearPath. Um, about wind in Iowa, and uh, the name of the paper is called Hawkeye Headwinds, and what they basically found is that the more wind has been added in Iowa, which there's a bunch of, um, the more local counties have put barriers to new wind.
2: Excellent. Um, Another question here, how do we address lawsuits, sometimes frivolous, uh, that can cause huge delays in the permitting?
1: is the piece that I haven't talked about yet because it's so tricky, but it's absolutely important. You know, a lot of times people ask, why, why is it so much harder here in the U.S. than in other countries that we think of as having high environmental standards? And the answer is, is a lot of that judicial review. In the U.S., anybody can sue anybody, anytime, right? Um, and court cases can cause Major, major, major delays. People have proposed various solutions to that. Some have proposed, you know, only limiting standing to people directly affected. Only limiting standing to people who submitted public comments during the early stages. Um, Decreasing the statute, you know, decreasing decreasing the amount of time after a decision that one has to file a lawsuit, you know, like kind of a a worst case scenario is like you get your approval, you spend 18 months building your thing, and then all of a sudden there's a lawsuit that, you know, stops you when you've built 80% of the thing and you've invested a bunch of money and now you've got this whole new lawsuit that's going to stop you when you delay time. time. So yeah, judicial review, big problem, a little harder to solve, basically because in the US, we kind of like our freedoms to file suit.
2: Super. Well, (laughs) we have just a few minutes left in this session. And um, uh, the last question I have for you is, what would you say to the person who says we don't need permitting reform? We just need more people employed in the sector to get the EIS done.
1: I would say that this is a scenario where yeah, I'm just going to say more people in the sector, I'm going to basically have that be equivalent to money, right? Um, money, throwing money at the problem of permitting is necessary, but not sufficient. We absolutely need more staffers focusing on this. We absolutely need them to use updated technology. We absolutely need them to be trained on that updated technology. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, geospatial mapping that we have these days can can really speed Uh, some of these decisions up, because we actually have a lot of data, you can compare the data. um, But without a deadline, people act as if there's no deadline. And without requirements for coordination, it has always been the case in our federal government, whether the president has been a Republican or the president has been a, a Democrat, that agencies butt heads, and they don't always work well together. And so I, I would say that there are there are policy reforms that are that are needed, and some that are, you know affect states. So for instance, like one of the one of the things that people are talking about for natural gas pipelines, I'm just using this as an example, um, is that some people use a, a Clean Water Act provision for states to block a natural gas pipeline, and they're doing it based on emissions. Now, that's not water related there are other things that can look at emissions, right? The Clean Water Act isn't an emissions-related thing. Um, and so the question is, should the should the jurisdiction of the Clean Water Act that states are able to, to use there be narrowed to only things that are affecting water? And we have other policies to think about emissions. That's the kind of thing um, that you can talk about there.
0: Well, I think that's, that's a really great question to end on. And I think, um, Obviously, Bipartisan Policy Center has a lot of smart people um, thinking about these issues, Zan being one of them. And so I really appreciate um, that he took the time out of his Saturday to join us and field a bunch of questions. I think this is an enormously important topic that we're going to be doing. I I encourage everybody to take some of the trainings that we put on. Um, Dana Nucateli's training on the need for permanent reform is really useful. I recommend everybody watch that first. And as we take on these bigger um, expanded policy agenda, expect to get more educational materials from us that I hope will help answer a lot of these questions. Um, I think we can all say thank you to Zan. And again, really, really appreciate Zan and taking the time today. And I appreciate everybody who took the time to uh, come to this breakout session to learn a little bit more about the need for permanent reform and how we might do it. Thanks
1: for having me. It's such an important topic. I'm so glad you're talking about it, and I'm so glad it's, I'm so glad you are talking about it because CCL um, is an impressive organization, and I am very confident that as an organization, you'll be able to to move people on this issue.
0: Thanks so much, Dan. thank you all.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today. Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. It helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.